Compensation plans can be so complex and confusing in this industry. We get it. You are trying to figure out the lingo, the jargon. Whoever is enrolling you is telling you that their company has the best. What really is the best and what should you be looking for? Well, we are bringing to you today someone who is an expert. He's a chief financial officer in the industry, has spent um, his career in this industry of network marketing, has created and developed compensation plans, and he's going to help break it down for you on what it means and what to look for. Welcome to the MLM You Decide podcast. We're your hosts, Janine Finney and Laura Evans. Each week, we'll bring you conversations about the good and the misunderstood aspects of MLM, multi-level marketing, network marketing. It's time to get informed because making a decision with only half the information could be the most expensive decision you make. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode. I just want to introduce you to someone who I have come to know over the last few years, and I am so impressed with his background and his experience, particularly what we're going to talk about today is compensation plans and the industry in general. We get a lot of questions about this. So we decided rather than just some of the episodes where we've tackled that topic, we would bring in an expert, somebody who has a financial background and experience in multi-level marketing, network marketing, compensation plans. So I'm bringing you the best of the best, and you're going to hear why. Kent Wood, uh, with his bachelor's degree and master's degree in accounting from BYU, has spent over 30 years of his career auditing, consulting for, and leading some of the largest and most successful network marketing companies. His functions and titles over the years have included Chief Financial Officer, Chief Operating Officer, President, Chief Executive Officer, and Chairman. He has founded, invested in, and served on the boards of four different direct selling companies with a variety of companies that have fostered um, that with cumulative aggregate revenues of over $3 billion. Those companies have fostered over $100 million earners in the industry, and countless of families around the world have benefited from the additional income stream as independent distributors with these enterprises. Kent has hosted meetings and events in 38 countries around the world, even lived in the Dominican Republic for two years, during which he learned Spanish. And he was recognized as one of Utah Business Magazine's 40 Under 40, an annual recognition of Utah's most successful and significant businessmen under the age of 40. In addition to his corporate roles, he has also served on boards for nonprofit and charity organizations. I'm so thrilled for us to dig into this subject and unpack it with someone as knowledgeable and experienced as you, Kent. So thank you for joining us today. Laura and Janine, thank you for the invite. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, let's talk, start off with, tell us a little bit about you and your family. I am the luckiest guy on earth. I married an amazing person 31 years ago who's just been willing to to ride through me on the entrepreneurial ventures, the experiences that we've had uh, together as a couple. And she certainly, I, I am who I am because I married an amazing lady. 
And then we were blessed with five daughters. Uh, <laughs> when I was dating Melanie, my wife, she wasn't terribly enthusiastic about my red hair. And so I promised her that if she'd just marry me, we wouldn't have to have redheaded kids. But we've got five gorgeous daughters with some shade of, of red in every one of them. Uh, they're just, they're great kids. Two are married. We've got three grandkids. Uh, one is getting married this summer. Uh, not sure when the podcast comes out. Hopefully they've made the engagement public before I'm in trouble. And then we've got two daughters in Chinese immersion programs still in middle school and elementary school. So it took us a long time to get the five girls here, but they're here and they fill our life abundantly. Oh, that is so wonderful. That's so wonderful. Yeah, I've heard you talk about um, um, your activities and support um, and, and just interaction with your family and things that you guys do as a family. And uh, that's outstanding. I'm so, so happy, happy to hear that side of you too. So let's jump into how did you first hear about network marketing or MLM? Who introduced you? What did you think when you heard about it? How'd that all come about? So Laura, I was raised on a dairy farm in rural Idaho. Um, my father was a banker and decided to buy the dairy farm because his children weren't learning to work hard enough. And so he put us to work on the dairy farm. Uh, the dairy farm was a great place to raise kids. It's not a, at least back in the seventies, not a great place to make any money. And so my mother got involved in a bunch of party plan companies to help put food on the table. And she did that for probably 20 years, my entire upbringing. Uh, we had that component to our life. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, I jumped into a network marketing opportunity as a, on the distributor side, uh, excited to pay for my education. Uh, I didn't have the background or experience that you amazing ladies have to evaluate what I should have been asking at the time. And as a 150 pound college freshman, I joined a weight loss MLM and I was trying to gain weight and build weight. And it just, yeah, obviously I didn't do my homework. I didn't go through the process that your podcast listeners are in the middle of. And if, if nothing else, it was an amazing learning experience for me from one other uh, component or one other way to look at this industry. And then about a year after that, I joined a, a company working for their data entry center, a large, at the time it was a, a small growing network marketing company that is now about 3 billion in annual revenue. Uh, but I was able to start seeing these companies, uh, the opportunities from the corporate side. And I've been in corporate or in public accounting auditing these companies for the last 30 plus years. And how did you get started with the corporate side then? So I was attending Brigham Young University in their accounting program. And my goal was to try and get into that particular company's accounting department. Um, I had two brothers who at the time were working for that company in different roles. Uh, so they were critical to get, getting me in the right interviews to at least start with the data entry group. And it was 
it was mundane, Janine. It was 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. before school started, before my classes started. And I guess coming from a dairy farm, people assume that I would like the 4 a.m. part. But I would go in and enter all of the, the stacks of faxes that were distributor applications. This was pre-internet enrollment, pre-app, pre-any of the great tools that we have in the industry today. This was before all of that. And so I would take this stack of distributor applications off of the fax machine and put them into the system. So that was my, my first corporate job. And from then I've done a lot of different things in this industry. Wow, that is so funny. I remember those days, the fax. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, you've had a lot of experience with different companies on that side. So what, what has that taught you about this business model? So first and foremost, it's an amazing model, Janine. And some of the most amazing business stories, leadership stories, personal growth experiences, both for myself and for people that I've been around, are found in this model. Uh, there are amazing people who do incredible good around the world in this model. Uh, having said that, I also spent to the years of my career auditing companies. And I, I can assure you that not all companies are created equal. Not all plans are created equal or fair. It gave me the ability to discern between those that are not companies, those that are companies that I wouldn't want to be associated with. And it's not my place to to kick them out of the industry or to tell those owners or those people what they can or cannot do. That's their choice. And it's just like any other industry out there that we're, we're involved with, that we shop from. There are good and bad companies across the entire spectrum. Most importantly, what it taught me is to find those great companies and those great people and align with them and it's, it's made my life beautiful. I love that you're talking about this because um, one of my frustrations about our profession is that a lot of people will have a brush with a particular network marketing company and um, they just assume that all companies are exactly the same and all experiences are the same. And so one of the things that we really wanna help people understand is that companies are different, it, just like they are in any situation. And each one has its own culture and um, they're, they're just not all created equally. So I love that you're talking about that. So what should someone look for in a company, um, in your opinion, based on this experience that you've had? So my belief, and again, this is just me speaking, this isn't, uh, coming from anyone just other than how I would look at it. But for me, it always starts with the people. You can have the best business plan and with the wrong people, it's going to fail. You can have the best products ever and without the right people in place, those products aren't going to go anywhere. What When I reference people, I, I'm including uh, your team, your leadership group, and the corporate staff, those three components uh, of people, those three groups of people are what 
will have an impact on whether you are successful or not, whether you're happy or not. And, you know, with each of those, you're, you're looking at, at different elements, but all three have to be in place. The right people have to be in place for any company to accomplish what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah, that is so important. And um, those are things that we encourage people to consider about the culture and the values of a company and the fit with them. And like you said about your experience in auditing companies and the diverse approaches that companies might have to things, which exist in any industry, you know, we come back to the compensation question because it always seems that whoever is prospecting someone else is saying that they've got the best compensation plan at, you know, their company. Um, and there's a lot of confusion around the significance of the compensation plan, uh, as well as what is a better compensation plan. And I know in my experience and in yours as well, there are clues as to whether a plan, well, a plan represents the values of a company I've seen. And there's clues as to whether it's designed to favor the distributor, to favor the customer, or to favor the company, or whether there's a balance being struck between those. So talk to us a little bit and give us some definitions because you know sometimes people hear binary and unilevel and stair-step breakaway and they're head spinning. They don't understand what any of that means. Will you help define some of those basic terms for us? And then just talk to us a little bit about what should somebody be looking for and taking into consideration in a compensation plan at a company? Gladly, Laura. And I appreciate you taking my kind of one topic response that I gave Janine with respect to what should we look for. And, and I would still leave that answer the same, that it starts with people, but then you have to check all of the other boxes before you make the decision to move. And it's product, it's what countries they're in, how they operate, but the compensation plan is fundamental in that process. And I'm not here to talk about all of the other boxes that you need to check or uncheck with respect to evaluating a company. You specifically asked me to address the compensation plan component. And so in, in terms of those comp plans, most importantly is can you understand it? Can, can you, whether it's in a 10 minute conversation or less, can you have a conversation with the person that's talking to you and understand what you have to do to get paid. There will all of, always be elements. There will be, you know, two-inch thick documents describing exactly the terms and conditions of that business. But can you understand and therefore teach the compensation plan is, is critical. You reference the confusing nature of compensation plans, Laura. And I think from my experience, there are a lot of companies that create confusion in their compensation plan because they don't want to be held accountable for what it is that they're committing to do. And that drives me crazy. It, it's not fair for customers. It's not fair for partners who are building this with the company. But from my experience, they do it to try and create loopholes that creates what I call breakage to the company. It eliminates 
a lot of the success that people can have and therefore helped fund what the company is doing. Now, most companies across the entire industry have similar margins from how they price the product, from the total that they're going to pay out. And, and so it's not that difficult to be transparent about what a company is going to, to pay. The reason why they would create confusion is to reallocate funds towards certain classes or groups of their field at the expense of others. And so first and foremost, can you understand and therefore can you teach what you're being asked to do? Second, with the second question that I would figure out is can my people, can my team make money? It's one thing for a leader like the two of you who have had tremendous success to be able to look up at an opportunity and go out and be successful with it. You've been successful in multiple places. You're both incredibly successful now. That isn't the question whether or not you can be successful. Can the people that you bring into that opportunity be successful? And what's going to, to determine that would be how the compensation plan is built and what tools do people who don't have your experience, what tools are at their disposal to go out and be successful? So Laura, you asked me to highlight a few of the, the common compensation plans out there. And I'll just touch on each of them briefly. Uh, there are breakaway plans where these are typically older plans uh, that would have been built in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And basically, you have to build a certain number of leaders that get to a point where they can break off and have their own organization. And you're rewarded for having those, but often you don't get paid until those teams start breaking away into their own uh, organizations. These plans take an awful long time to build. Uh, they can be extremely expensive for people to build. And um, there, are, there are people who make millions of dollars per year with these plans. It's just not a plan that I would choose in, our, in any company that I'm aligned with, primarily because of the lack of middle class that fosters continuity, that fosters stability in an organization. Uh, the next plan that I'll touch on is a matrix plan. And basically that's an, a structured plan that as you enroll people, they're going to, if it's a three by three matrix, for example, the first person that you enroll is going to go on your first level, left side, the next person that you enroll is going to go first level, middle, the next person, first level, right? And you start building out this perfectly formed matrix. The concept behind matrix is one of simplicity because people don't have to understand structure as much. They can just be out recruiting. The downside to matrix plans is that they rely on people staying in the business. And with any business, whether it's network marketing, supplement companies, or gym memberships, or you know, movie clubs, whatever it is that people are in, there's always a portion of, of that subset that are going to fall out every single month. And with a matrix, having people fall out starts to erode the entire organization based on the requirements of having a completed matrix. 
Uh, party plan, I referenced that my mom did 20 plus years of party plan uh, businesses. Most of these companies leverage free product and incentive trips as their primary way of rewarding people. So their cash payout is significantly less than a lot of the other programs uh, that are out there. It's, again, there are great companies, great products available in that. There's a lot fewer, as a percentage goes, a lot fewer people that can make a full-time income in those organizations than a lot of the other structures that I'll be talking about. Uh, binary plan is the next uh, the next category that I'll refer to. And Laura, I just want to highlight that all of what I'm saying is just a very summarized, condensed overview. I, I realize that you know within each of these categories, there are hundreds of thousands of different actual plans out there. Uh, so I'm doing my best to just give a 60-second introduction on each of these without, you know, if someone's looking at a specific binary plan, uh, take what I'm saying and then dig into the specifics of that actual plan. Binaries started to come out, I would say, in the 1990s, early 2000s. They're very popular in international markets. Uh, there are a high percentage of binary plans that don't last more than five to six years. They, they burn out very quickly, uh, which is a shame. It's, it's often motivated by people that want to be paid based on the time that they entered or the position that they entered in, as opposed to the team that they're actually building. Uh, there are people who, again, make millions of dollars every year with binary plans. That same person, in a different position in that binary uh, could have a much different income and a much different uh, experience. And so I would just caution someone looking at a binary to make sure that you understand where you're going because there's there are only two legs. You can go in the power leg or you can go in uh, the lesser leg and you're going to get a lot more help in one of those than the other. And so it's just, I personally don't like binaries because of the carnage that, that exists from all, all of these people that had this, a similar timing, but didn't get the advantage of the placement of some of those that are having success. My preferred plan, obviously I'm biased, is a unilevel plan. Uh, for me, it's a lot easier to understand. It's a lot more transparent in how the plan pays out. And again, there will there are tens of thousands of different versions of unilevel plans. So make sure you understand how your specific plan pays out. But for me, I love the middle class that can be built with a unilevel. For someone to have the success that you two ladies have had, you need a massive organization. And to be able to get paid on that organization, people have to have enough success that they continue to stay with you. And I love the staying power that Unilevels can create. That was so good. 
thank you so much for, I appreciate you providing just a broad stroke of, first of all, let's talk about these terms because sometimes the person that is promoting that opportunity to you is also not familiar with what the terms are. And sometimes, you know, that person that may be, um, that you're learning about or that company that you're learning about may be the one and only that you've really learned about and discovered. And you're not aware of, you know, the different choices that a company can make in terms of how they're going to compensate. And I love that you shared, and we talked about this in our episode about products are overpriced. That objection that we run into, that's a myth about the multi-level marketing, network marketing industry. But we talked about, there's an advertising budget for every company. Facebook has an advertise. everybody has an advertising budget. And within the multi-level marketing industry, there's not a wide gap in terms of the advertising dollars. Um, and it goes to pay individuals rather than to you know, radio or TV or newspapers or whatever. So I love that you reinforce that. And it's all a matter of how it's being allocated as you also shared. So I just really appreciate uh, the lesson that you gave everybody on that. And I know it'll be listened to over and over again uh, to help people decipher when they do come across a description or a name of a plan so they understand a little bit more about, oh, I remember hearing about this one and now I know that these are some things I should look for or look out for with it. Is there any practical, um, I'm just thinking about all the terms and I'm telling you, it's, it's, I just think I've gotten books on this topic and, and because we've written books, it's, it's kind of like it's something that people want us to address and yet truly it's so confusing. And I'm just wondering if there's any like really practical tip that, I mean, for sure you talked about people and can the, the person that's sponsoring you or you getting into this business, can you sort of explain it in general, how somebody gets paid? Is there anything else that you would say to somebody just as a tip to, um, to, to just address the compensation piece? So Janine, great question. And because of the thousands of different plans out there, it's almost a an individualized approach to look at a plan and evaluate what are the criteria and what what is the likelihood that I'm going to be successful or not with this particular plan. Having said that, from a, a truly specific evaluation standpoint. One, I think a couple of key topics that you can look at in the early stages of the evaluation is how many people are required for you to be for you to reach whatever income goal it is that you've set for yourself. And when looking at that specific opportunity, understand how many key builders you need to work with to be able to reach that level. There are people who $500 a month can be life-changing for them. And so in that evaluation, what kind of recruiting activity do you need? What kind of team structure do you have to have to reach that $500 per month? For other people, $500 a month would be an insult. And if they can't reach 5,000 a month, then they aren't even going to take the time to look at that opportunity. So for them, it will be, a similar evaluation, but require very different uh, formulas 
to determine what they have to do to do the 5,000. So it starts with what you need individually, what it is that you hope to get from this business, and then translate in that into what you would have to do. Janine, that would be the, the initial advice that I would give people in just understanding whatever it is that you wanna reach for. Determine how you get there, and then you can evaluate whether or not it's possible. Have you got the right people and product to be able to accomplish that? And if not, don't waste your time pursuing it. If it is possible and you can actually achieve what it is that, that you define as your objective, then run after it with full passion, with full effort and enthusiasm so that you can get to that level. And once you get to that level, then you need to make sure and set your next uh, part of the plan so that you can take that 500 a month and turn it into something more significant should you, should you want to keep building. I love that response. That is just ties it all up into a nice neat little bow because I think it, it definitely personalizes it. And it's tough to have this kind of a conversation when everybody's goals with their business is so different. So I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. So as we end um, on kind of a fun note, we always like to ask our guests, is there any, um, are there any books that you're listening to or reading right now um, that you would like to share with us and um, any gadget or lesson or anything that's making your life easier these days? What great questions. What fun questions. It, I'm motivated to go find the other uh, episodes of your podcast so that I can get <laughs> some new book ideas from all of your other, your other guests. So First of all, thanks for coming up with kind of a fun diversion from compensation plans. <laughs> uh, the current book that I'm in the middle of is one called The Hard Things About Hard Things uh, by Ben Horowitz. He's a tech entrepreneur, uh, goes through all of the experiences that he had in building companies, getting funded, funding for companies, selling companies, and building a business is not for the faint of heart. Build, building a business, whether it's in this industry or any other, is going to be challenging. Um, just to preface, there, there's some strong language in that book that I wasn't aware of as I dove into it. So uh, for those of you not wanting to make sure that you avoid it, I, I've given the warning, uh, but it's, there's some great business, uh, business ideas, business concepts that help us as entrepreneurs. Over the holidays, I reread Think and Grow Rich, just one of the, the staples as I go about setting my goals for the new year. Um, I always go into that process, just trying to make sure that I'm understanding what where it is that I wanna put my time and what activities can help me be successful. And then one of the other ones that I re-referenced as we were building our corporate plans for 2021, I went back to certain chapters of Built to Last, a book that I, I refer to often just as we're developing strategies. Um, it, it's one of those books that is easy to jump back into just to try and reemphasize a couple of, of key business building uh, topics. Uh, gadgets or lessons. Um, Thank goodness for the gadgets that we do have. Um, 
you know, it, it's so funny. Just when, when I think of all of the gadgets that are out there, one of the things that my wife asked for Christmas was a shoehorn because she had lost hers. And so when you boil down all of the tools that make our, our life a little easier, that was probably the least expensive Christmas gift I ever had to go chase down. Uh, but just grateful for the tools, especially in today's COVID environment. Um, grateful for Zoom and the ability to see people's facial expressions as we meet with them, even though we're prevented from being with them. So nothing new that the people listening to your podcast aren't already plugged into. Yes, very good. Well, hey, a shoehorn can save somebody a lot of time and aggravation. So oh, I'm right there with her. Um, sometimes uh, sometimes the best gadgets are not necessarily the newer ones as much as uh, the tried and true ones. So that's that's good. Hey, as we wrap up too, Kent, we, uh, we know that in the industry, there are a lot of philanthropic um, and we know that money in the hands of good people can do great things. So we always like to ask our guests, you know, what causes are you behind these days? You know, what are you supporting? What kind of cause are you, um, you know, gravitating towards? So Laura, this is heavily influenced by my own family, um, which I think is an important part of any cause that we're participating in. Um, and the reason why the causes that I'm most involved with right now uh, it are because I've been able to create experiences with my daughters. Uh, so Operation Smile is a group that sends dentists and other medical professionals into third world countries uh, to do uh, lip and cleft palate repair. Uh, I've been able to go on a couple of their missions and involve my daughters in that. Um, there's a, another group that built schools in Africa, Choice Humanitarian, and I helped one of my daughters get a group of about 10 youth, do a bunch of fundraising activities, and then we went down and built three rooms onto the school in this village in uh, Kenya. So for me, and there's so many good uh, charitable organizations, so much good that needs to happen in the world. As, as a company uh, that I'm currently with, we're involved in uh, Mission 22 that does veteran support, uh, 2020 Mom uh, that helps with some of the issues that brand new moms have to deal with and others. So there's no shortage of great programs. For me personally, Laura, it's what can my daughters get excited about enough that they would actually use their own money, use their time to try and raise additional money. Mm -hmm. And that's where our family aligns. Yeah, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. And such a complete view all around um, about how we, um, how we generate and also how we can be generous. So I, I, love, I love what you shared with us. Thank you for your time. I know your time's valuable. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm sure that this will be an episode shared over and over again. Thank you, Laura and Janine. Uh, congratulations for the success that you're having, both with the podcast as well as your individual businesses. Let's go make a big difference. Thank you.
so much for taking the time to be with us. We hope you've gained some clarity from today's show. If you did, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Because when you share it and drop a review, it helps other people find us and helps us get this message out. Please join us each week to hear from people who are in the trenches and have their own personal experience with this business. And if you'd like to learn more about this topic, subscribe to our show and visit our website. We'd also like to recommend two books co-authored by Janine Finney and her daughter, Lori Murhead, The Flip Flop CEO and Does the Shoe Fit? The Guide to Help You Decide. We invite you to join our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn communities as well. Be sure to tune in to our next episode because making a decision with only half the information could be the most expensive mistake you can make.